Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. We have our uh, open house event that we're doing for six weeks. Of course, that was really fun to watch my boy up there talk about the, one of the ways in which he serves in our, our community. And Noemi McPherson actually decorated this. Uh, we, we could use probably six more throw pillows, don't you think? Uh, up here, and, you know, we got the nice, I don't know why you need, you know, four covers, but we have uh, four of them available for you guys, blankets. Um, but during this series, open house series, it's designed uh, to be like more like a conversation that we would have in our, our living room, more of a discussion in regards to uh, six different questions that we are, are discussing over these this six weeks. Of course, Jay started it off last week, um, but more of a, you know, six different questions that we think everyone would be asking themselves uh, at some point, and then you could sit down in your living room and have a conversation about it. So we entitled it uh, Lessons from Our Living Room, and of course, uh, Jay started off last week with, with talking about uh, you know, what story are we living from, or what narrative or lens or worldview do we see uh, life through? <clears throat> and he asked us to consider five different, um, different things in regards to what story or narrative that we live through. But we're kind of coming at this series as uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, um, he talks about, uh, he says several different times, uh, you have heard it said, but I say this. You've heard it said this, but I say that. And so uh, as we consider these six questions, we're not looking at what the world would define as, as uh, these things. We're essentially saying the world may say this, or your instinct may say this, or you may have heard it said uh, this way, but what Jesus says is this. And so that's how we're looking at these different things as we answer these questions today. And so the five things that Jay asked us to consider Last week uh, was kind of this idea of what would be normal for us to consider and then what Jesus would say. So we want comfort, but Jesus gives us purpose, and we're going to talk about purpose today. We want control. I love control, actually, but Jesus gives us faith. We want convenience, but Jesus gives us truth. We want conquest or success, and, but Jesus gives us communion. We want confirmation, but Jesus gives us transformation. I hope that you were able to consider, think about, pray about what kind of story we are living from or who is the author of our story and consider these five things over this last week. Now, the question we're going to consider today is how do I find purpose in life? How do I find purpose in life? So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dive right in. Uh, God, thank you that uh, you get to meet with us uh, as a church body, and as we recognize that people all over the world are gathering uh, on this day. We, re we remember those folks. We remember what you did for us on the cross through communion. Uh, we celebrate uh, that you give us purpose. And as we discover this question, as we look at it today, I just pray that you move in each of our hearts and as a body of Christ. In your name, amen. So I did what every good person with a phone, with the internet, or with a computer does when they're considering a question. I googled, how do I find purpose in life? 
And these were, no joke, these were the first five things that showed up when I Googled, how do I find purpose in life? The first one was for a purpose coach. Online, you go online and you take, you know, you consider these things and you find a coach who's supposed to help you find purpose. And it gives 12 tips, you know, that we're able to consider, develop a growth mindset, give back, practice gratitude, explore your passions, be part of a community, and so on. So I think those are some pretty good things. The second thing came up when I Googled how do I find purpose in life was a, a website called, called Knowledge for Men. And it's, uh, the subtitle was Reclaim Masculine Power, End Being a Nice Guy with Women, and Become a Leader of Men. I didn't click on the website because I didn't know what it was talking about. So um, the third thing when I Googled it was a quiz. You, you, know, you take a quiz, you answer certain things, and then it, based on your answers, it tells you uh, what your purpose is. Um, I didn't take the quiz because I was scared it was going to tell me to move to Ajo, Arizona or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with Ajo. Okay. Uh, and then the fourth one was Very Well Mind. It's a website. Actually, it comes up uh, often in, my, um, in the degree that I'm, I'm getting right now, my master's degree in counseling at GCU. Very Well Mind is kind of a health uh, website in regards to physical health, mental health, and it gives seven tips for finding your purpose. Donate time, money, talent, listen to feedback, surround yourself with positive people, and so on. And then the fifth thing that came up on Google was Tony Robbins. I don't know if you've heard of Tony Robbins, but he's an author and motivational speaker. And he talks about certainty and how certainty or our routines and our stability can sometimes get us stuck and not allow us to move forward into other areas uh, in life. And that keeps us from our purpose. And he talked about our beliefs that sometimes we have that we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're not, we don't deserve happiness, whatever, so we have beliefs that limit us from getting us to our purpose. And I think some of these things are very helpful, you know, in regards to uh, considering our purpose in life. Um, but I would, I would argue that it doesn't get us to the definition that we're looking at today. Now, in addition to what's online, you have your own opinions about your purpose in life. Other people have opinions about your purpose in life. And maybe you've asked yourself the question before. Maybe you've actually considered, well, what is my purpose in life? And maybe you haven't considered that. Uh, either way, I would argue that whether you've considered the question or not, the way in which you live your life pretty much tells you what you believe your purpose is in life, the choices that you make. So cons consider the different aspects of our lives. And sometimes we can focus in on these aspects of our life as our purpose. And we can elevate these things, I would argue, to become what defines us as having value or important, or these can sometimes become our purpose wrongfully. And you may answer the question like this, my life is important because. My life is important because of this, or has purpose because of this. You could say my life is important because of my marriage. Now I think marriage is valuable. I think marriage can be a model for what, um, how Jesus loves his church, his bride. But marriage is not my purpose. I'm married, but it's not my purpose. Marriage is not my purpose because if marriage was my purpose, then that, then that says to anyone who's not married that they don't have a purpose. 
and that's incorrect. My, what makes me important are not my kids. I have four kids. We just celebrated one of them that was just on the screen. Love my kids. My kids are not my purpose. You may say you're important because of the money that you make, the provision that you have for yourself or for your family. You may say that your reputation is your purpose or what makes you important or what gives you value. I know in high school, um, my reputation became the guy who could go to a party and not drink, not get drunk, not smoke or do drugs and still have a fun time. I could go. It wasn't really tempting for me to do those things. And what happened was out of my conviction at that time in my life to not do those things, it then became about my reputation of being the guy who can be at the party and not do those things. And it shifted my motivation to be about my reputation rather than my conviction in part. You may say to yourself that your life's important because of your job or your occupation. It's easy for us to fall into that. Or maybe you're important because of your achievements or the things that you've accomplished. Maybe you have a bucket list and you are crossing off those things. It's super satisfying to accomplish those things and you find your identity, your purpose in those. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's the people that you associate with that becomes what makes you important. Maybe it's your social media presence. Maybe it's your popularity, not around the world popularity, but within your office, within your class, within that certain group of people. Maybe it's sex or sexual pleasure becomes the thing that is the most important to you. Maybe it's your possessions, your car, your house, your clothes. Maybe it's your education. That degree is what makes you significant or important. Maybe it's Bible knowledge or theological knowledge. I think sometimes as Christians, we can care more about the knowledge that we put into our head than the faith that we live out in our life. Maybe it's that hobby that we have. Maybe it's serving or donating our time or our energy, our talents can become what makes us important. Maybe it's that team, that sports team, that maybe we care too much about Go Bucks. <clears throat> you had that queued up, man. That was, that was really good, Scotty. I appreciate that. Maybe it's our political involvement or our political opinions that become what makes us significant or have purpose. Maybe it's our family legacy. Well, my grandparents were this, and my parents are this, and so I'm this, and I'm going to pass this on to my kids as my legacy, and that becomes what makes us significant or important or have purpose. Maybe it's our traditions or our routines. Maybe it's our intellect. Maybe it's being a foodie and you're just food and drink is like your thing, and they, the fact that you know all the spots is like what gives you purpose and significance. Maybe it's emotional and physical health. Maybe it's vacations. You essentially live for the next vacation. Maybe it's retirement. What makes you significant and every single day you're making the decision for how you're going to spend that last 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life. Maybe it's the roles that we play that become what gives us value and purpose. Maybe the role that you play is you're the helper 
and that makes you feel like you have purpose. Maybe you're the funny guy or the funny gal. Maybe you're the listener. Maybe you're the teacher. Maybe you're the victim. Maybe you're the person who remembers everyone's birthdays and celebrates them, and that's what gives you purpose and significance. Now, all of these things that we just talked about can be important, can be helpful, can make the world a better place. But I would argue that none of these define our purpose in life. Now, our purpose may lead us to, as an outflow, into some of these things. Our purpose may lead us into that job. Our purpose may lead us into that relationship or that role that we play. But first, we must establish what our purpose is. And if our purpose is one of those things we just talked about, whether it's our marriage, kids, job, then I would argue that's become an idol in our life, in my life, and we need to prioritize them differently. Now, I believe our purpose in life is laid out for us in these two verses found in Psalm 37, 3 through 4. And it says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do I find purpose in life? Dependence on and relationship of and enjoyment of God. Dependence on God and enjoyment of God. Now I'm going to talk, I'm going to connect these two in a minute and make it more practical for us to consider what our purpose is and what it looks like. But I want to talk about somebody who modeled this for us in Scripture. I could have chosen 150 different people from God's Word, but I chose Nehemiah uh, because I just love Nehemiah's story. Um, it's relatable to me, and I think it goes perfectly with what we're talking about, our purpose being dependence on and enjoyment of God. Now, uh, Nehemiah... Uh, was an Israelite official working in the Persian Empire. So I have a picture, a map that I want you to, to look at here. So the, the green portion, well, the, the, I guess it's kind of a darker green, not the yellow at the bottom, uh, is the Persian Empire at, at this time. And so the Persian Empire uh, kind of goes all the way around up in here um, and it goes from 540 B.C. to 340 B.C. I'm a, I'm a visual learner, so this helps me. Ne uh, Nehemiah was from Babylon, which is kind of the bottom middle section there. And Nehemiah hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, which is just to the left of, of um, Babylonia, next to the Mediterranean Sea. And what's going on in Jerusalem is the temple is being rebuilt. And then Nehemiah hears about um, he's in 440 B.C. He hears about the walls that are around Jerusalem uh, have been ruined and they, they need to be rebuilt, or at least that's what he thinks needs to happen. So Nehemiah hears about this. He's an official in the Persian government. And immediately, he's like, all right, I need to, I need to ask God what he, what he thinks. So he stops, he prays, he asks God, and he submits himself to, hey, I'll do whatever you want. Do you want me to go rebuild these walls? He stops, he says, God, I'll trust you with whatever you have, and then he feels like he hears from the Lord, go and build these walls. And so he, he goes, all right, that's what I should do. Submits himself to that. He goes to the king in Persia. He's like, hey, this is my idea, this is what I want to do. And the king's like, 
awesome, great. I'll send you with people to help protect you. I'll send you with resources, and you go build the wall. So as, he's, as he goes, and he arrives in this area, and he starts to rebuild the wall, uh, he finds conflict very quickly with the people inside Jerusalem, with the way that they were living, with the people living right at the wall, and the people outside of the wall. So much so that Nehemiah needs protection, more military protection, even just to survive being there, but also to rebuild the wall. So there's this, you know, the people who are wanting to attack him, and he has military presence to protect himself so he can build these walls. Then he even goes so far as to, to tell the people outside of the walls, like, you're not a part of this, this group. You're not a part of Jerusalem. Like, you're outside, and that, of course, provokes those people, and they want to come after him, and so it requires even more military presence for him to accomplish building the walls. Now, within 52 days, Nehemiah accomplishes what he believes he's supposed to do, and he builds the walls. And with people within the walls immediately realize that it, the job is done, and their immediate response is to worship, to celebrate, to enjoy God with relationship, with drink, with food, with festival, with feasts, with singing. And their, their immediate response to this um, action that had been done, faithfulness, is to respond to God in enjoying him. He even says this statement in chapter 810. Nehemiah, he says, Then he said to them, this is Nehemiah talking, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now Nehemiah once they're celebrating, they're enjoying God, they're having this great time celebration of what, what he'd done, that him and the other people make new commitments to God. They, they commit themselves to taking care of the temple and to being holy and to obeying what God has and to, to be in God's word and to you know, uh, just do everything that the Lord is asking them to do. And what Nehemiah finds out quickly is that they, the, the people of Jerusalem start abandoning those commitments. They start... Uh, dealing with markets in and out near the, the um, wall, and, and they have these markets on the Sabbath, and they're having them near the temple, and they're neglecting the temple, and they're, they're not obeying what they said that they were going to obey. And so Nehemiah gets mad. He starts beating people up. He starts pulling hair out of people. And then he ha the book, Nehemiah, ends with this kind of prayer that Nehemiah has to God. And he basically says to God, Welp, at least I tried. And that's how Nehemiah ends. It's kind of an anticlimactic story. And you may say to yourself, okay, you're talking about our purpose in life. Why would you tell us this story that kind of ends in this odd manner? And I would say that that is exactly the point. The purpose Nehemiah had wasn't to execute everything perfectly. The purpose Nehemiah had wasn't to never make mistakes and to ride off into the sunset. Nehemiah's purpose was exactly what our purpose is. It's to depend on God and to enjoy him. The details and the outflow of that are secondary. Nehemiah is a great example for us of someone who models what it means to depend on and to have enjoyment of God. When Nehemiah had this idea of going to build the wall, 
What was his response? His response was to immediately submit himself to what God was asking him to do. I, I, I will go and do whatever you want me to do. I want to depend and trust solely on you. And then, as a result, he goes and builds the wall as a secondary outflow of his purpose to depend on him. He builds the wall, then he immediately celebrates and enjoys God's company and relationship with other people. Nehemiah's journey um, didn't depend on his, depended on him enjoying God together. Now, did Nehemiah get some things right? Yes. Did Nehemiah get some things wrong? Yes. That's why it's important for us to remember or maybe even realize for the first time that our purpose to depend on God and have enjoyment of God may lead us secondarily to certain roles, responsibilities, occupations, experiences, choices. And as we do our best, we will get some things right and we will get some things wrong. That's just part of the deal. But Nehemiah's purpose wasn't to build the wall. His purpose was to depend on God and to have enjoyment of God. God could have said when Nehemiah was trusting him, hey, I'll do whatever you want. And God could have said, okay, build half of the wall. He could have said, don't build the wall at all. He could have said, stay in Babylon. His purpose wasn't the wall. His purpose was to depend and trust in whatever God was having him do and to enjoy him. Now, we're going to make this more practical here in a moment, but I want to give another reason why our purpose is to depend on and have enjoyment of God. And in the Latin Bible, the term is imago dei, which gets translated into image of God. Because we're created in the image of God, our purpose then becomes a dependence on and enjoyment of him. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Literally, in our body, mind, spirit, and will, we are designed to want to be like God and to be with God. It's literally in our, how we are created, is to be like him, and he is like us. So to have a purpose in our life that is void of something that has to do with depending on God or enjoying God, it will be outside of what we are literally designed to do and to be. And here's where it gets a little bit more practical for us. I believe that our purpose in life, how we find our purpose in life, is where our dependence on God and where our enjoyment of God intersect. Where our dependence on God, where you're the most dependent on Him. What is that situation in your life? Where are you the most dependent and trusting of Him? And where do you enjoy Him the most? Where those two intersect is what I would argue, what I think the psalmist is getting us to understand 
is that where our dependence on God and our enjoyment of him meet is where our purpose in life is. Now, dependence is trust, trusting in God, his ways, his teachings. You know, it's a lot easier in the short term, right, to trust in our own thinking or someone, the pressure that someone else is putting on us or whatever it is. In the long run, though, I would think that if you go your day, a whole day, without considering, all right, Lord, what do you have for me today? What, what should I do in this decision? How should I have that conversation? What should I, what, how do I spend my money when it, when it comes to this? If we're going a whole day without considering those things, I would argue that maybe we're depending on something other than God. Maybe we're de- depending on our own skill set or intellect or experience or whatever that may be. Now, if, you, if, you, if there are things in your life where you're going, all right, God, I, I need you to show up. Like you, you need to provide in this, in this way. I need your help with this. I would argue that those are the moments in which you are depending on God. When it comes to dependence on him or trust in him, I love the illustration of our hands, open hands. Lord, whatever, whatever you want, you can give. Whatever you want to take, you can take. You give and you take away. But if I live like this, then I'm, I'm in control of what's going on, and I'm not sure I'm depending on what the Lord has for me. In some ways, it's, it's easy for us to maybe depend on God for certain things in our life and more difficult in others. For example, for me, when it comes to money or finances or provision, for whatever reason, it's easy for me to just trust God that he'll provide. I've just always been that way. Drives my wife a little bit crazy. I should be feeling more pressure about those things. But I grew up having almost nothing, and several times, a hundred bucks would just show up in our, at our front door, or there would be groceries that were dropped off. Or I just saw God provide in ways that I couldn't explain. So for whatever reason, it's easy for me, easy for me, to depend on God for provision, for finances. But when it comes to my friendships, I pretty much tell God most of the time, I got it. Like, I'm, I'm good at, I'm good at friendship. Like, I'm a good friend. Like, like I'll take care of this part. You, you continue to provide financially provisions and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm, I got this part handled. I, I, right now, currently, need to figure out how I can depend on the Lord more when it comes to relationships and friendships. That's something that I need to work on. And we all have different things where it's easy for us to depend over here, but we want control in this area over here. I remember my mom uh, getting $100 one time when we were growing up. We didn't have much. And she, she was at dinner, and the $100 bill was literally sitting on the table, and she was sharing out loud her process of what to do with that $100 bill. And she said that the moment that she saw it and was given to, to her, she was convicted that she was supposed to give it to a, a neighbor friend of ours, and she didn't want to. She wanted new clothes. And she was wrestling out loud this struggle that she had. She ultimately gave the money to our neighbor, but you can see the struggle when the Lord, we feel like the Lord is asking us to do something and we have a different desire. Now, enjoyment of God 
takes on many forms um, of how we can enjoy him. Maybe you've considered what it would mean to enjoy God. Maybe you've never considered what it would mean to enjoy God. But enjoyment uh, is a result of our trust and our relationship with him. It's really hard to enjoy someone that you don't know, right? It would be hard for me to enjoy Brent if I didn't know Brent. But if there's a trusting relationship, if we have, if we're getting to know one another, then I can enjoy him. And enjoyment of God will always involve our emotions, our affections towards him. Um, enjoyment of Jesus takes practice, I would argue. It takes practice because we have to figure out ways in which we can enjoy him, have affinity, affection, emotions with God. Maybe you connect with God and you feel his joy the most when you're driving and there's worship music on and you're singing as loud as you can because no one else can hear you sing and you won't get embarrassed. Maybe that's the moment, for whatever reason, you find the easiest to connect with God in heaven. Maybe you connect with God and feel his joy the most when you're hiking in the mountains, whether you're with someone, not with someone, the sun's going up, sun's coming down, you're looking around, you see God's beauty. Maybe in those moments, you can enjoy and have an affinity and affection with God the most. Maybe you connect with him and feel his joy when you're in a Bible study with your peers, just opening up God's word together with people that you love and trust and letting iron sharpen iron. That's just the moment where you just feel the most connected to God. Maybe it's when you're serving the poor, you feel the most connected to him. There's just something that happens in your spirit that just comes out of you and there's an there's an affection and emotion towards God. Maybe you're connected the most when you're on the back patio in the morning, having your coffee before the kids are awake. Maybe that's the moment you're able to just have with the Lord and enjoy Him. Maybe it's with friends who inspire you. When you're with those people, you're just uplifted and you just see the Lord in different ways. Now, there's no one way to enjoy God, but I would argue that it takes practice and that it can be in every area of our life as long as we continue to grow in our trust, our dependence, our relationship with God, and then we can enjoy Him. A few, several years ago, I remember struggling. Like I, don't, like, I had a couple areas in my life where I could enjoy God. I knew that like, there was like, affection and emotion that were, was going back and forth. But I, it wasn't in every area of my life. It was just in a couple. One of them was hiking uh, for me with headphones on, and you know, I'm hiking a mountain or I'm with someone. I, I just, for whatever reason, I connect with the Lord there. And a very specific one is, for whatever reason, if I'm at a coffee shop where there's other people around with my headphones on, listening to worship music, and I'm journaling or reading God's Word. Like that specific scenario. If I was in my office, hard to do that. If I'm at home, Hard to do that. But in that environment, coffee shop, people run around. I don't know why, but that's one way that's easier for me to connect with the Lord. And I was sharing that in kind of a frustration with Larry Anderson, former pastor, and he, and he just basically gave me permission. He's like, Wes, like, you'll grow into like, enjoying God in other areas of your life, but you have two ways in which you can go to almost any time to enjoy the Lord. He's like, press into that. Just do that more often. And I said, that, that's a great idea. Thank you for giving that permission. 
to me. And I would offer the same advice. If there is some go-to things in your life that you, you just know, if these things are, are here, I'm focused on the Lord, I'm trusting him, and, I, and I'm going to enjoy him in that moment, just press into that and allow the Lord to work in those other areas of your life. So how do I find purpose in life? Your purpose will be met where your dependence on God and your enjoyment of God meet together. And how do I do that? You have to ask yourself, do you trust God? If the answer is no, explore that. If the answer is some, explore that. If the answer is yes, press into it and ask him to grow your trust. Ask yourself, do I enjoy God? Do I even know what that means to enjoy God? The answer is no, explore it. If it's, if it's sometimes, explore that. If it's yes, press into what that is. And just like Nehemiah, his purpose was not the wall. His purpose was dependence on and enjoyment of. And where those two things meet for us is where we will find our purpose in life. And as an outflow of that, God may lead you into certain decisions, certain financial choices, certain relationships, but it will always be in dependence on and enjoyment of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thanks that we get to enjoy you, that you enjoy us because we're created in your image. Uh, we get to depend on you, to rely on your character, rely on your provision for us and at the same time enjoy you enjoy your presence your spirit your influence the direction that you give us and as an outflow of our dependence on you and enjoyment of you lead us into the things you want to guide us into not making those things our purpose but making you and our relationship and enjoyment of you our purpose and guide us each step of the way in your name Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. We have our prayer partners over here, the Hoshawars, that will be willing to pray with you and for you. You can submit your requests on the way out. I just wanted to close with, with one little story about Bob Goff. I don't know if you've read his book, Love Does, but he tells this great story about where his dependence on God and his enjoyment of him met, and he was feeling called to become a lawyer to help people. So he applies to one law school. He doesn't get in. He shows up five days before school was supposed to start. He goes to the dean. He's like, hey, you have the power to let me into this school. The dean's like, thank you, but no thank you. And so he sits outside the dean's office, and every time the dean walks by, he says, just tell me to get my books. Just tell me to get my books. Four days before school starts, same thing. Three days before school starts, same thing. Two days, school's starting. He's like, this is going to be the day. He's going to come in. He's like, school starts today. Go get your books. You're in the program. Five days into school, he realizes he's failing a program he's not even involved with yet. He's falling behind already. But that day, the dean walks by and he says, get your books. Became a successful lawyer in, in LA, helping people serving the Lord. Sometimes 
where our dependence on and enjoyment of God will lead us to crazy places. Sometimes it'll just be in the everyday enjoyment of him and trust in him. But be willing to depend on him in any situation and then enjoy him in the process. I love you guys. We'll see you later. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.